reconciled to God, that the sin which separated him can uh, be taken away. And this sin which separated man will be no longer be an enemy between God and us, but we can now see God as our friend. And so that's what the work of Jesus Christ accomplished. So uh, we know that although Jesus, although Jesus Christ he came and he died for our sins, it has no meaning for our lives until we appropriate it, until we make that a part of us. And this is the greatest, this is what makes up our faith, our religion. If we do not take what God has provided for us, and use it to our lives, then it's not going to work. So what we're trying to do is to give the things, to take the things of God, and make them real to us. And to take the Word of God that is here written, and see how it fits into our everyday lives, and then that Jesus Christ can be as real to us as he was to Paul. Anyone watched Robert Schuller this morning? He had uh, a lady who was in China as uh, as, as a guest today. That's always that was the first part of it. But uh, he had a lady who was in China, and she was uh, this was back in the when Mao took over the country, and she was educated in Europe. Her husband worked for uh, the Shell Corporation. And um, I don't know how, I guess he died. Yeah, he died. And she became a general manager. Well, whenever her mom took over, she was seen as a political, um, how was I going to say? She had connections to the outside world. Uh, foreign connections, because she was educated in a foreign university over in New York, and that um, she was a Christian. She had found Christ as her savior. And she told her arrest and her six and a half years of solitary confinement. And how that she was beaten, and how that she still bears the marks on her hands and the scars and the handcuffs when they were trying to torture her to get her to say that she was a spy. And she was near death many, many times. And she said how that in that prison, in that, that solitary confinement, confinement she prayed and she, she found the presence of God was near. And that, that was what sustained her. It was God's presence with her during that, that time of, of extreme, excruciating physical pain, mental pain, and torture. It was that relationship, her relationship with Jesus Christ that kept her. Now, this is what we're saying. That we want to take this which Paul is telling us about and appropriate it to our lives. To take Jesus Christ and bring him into our lives. Now, Christianity is an intensely personal religion. Did you know that? Our Christianity is a very personal religion. That uh, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ you become increasingly like Jesus Christ, and we become increasingly full and complete and productive as a Christian in following Christ. So these are all part of our, our Christian walk. Now, it is a very personal relationship that grows into a body of Christ where everybody fits. 
It all fits together. together. Every, every person, person fits. Every, every person, person has, has a place in the body of Christ. So, so everyone is important. Everyone has a specific task that you are to do. You may, you may think, think I'm just a little, little toe. <laughs> but you cut off your little toe and it affects the way you walk. You see, everyone is as important in the body of Christ, so it is a very intensely personal relationship with Christ, but yet it is a very much a collective body working together. And so we have the personal relationship that affects our body ministry in which we are working and doing our part for the kingdom of God. Christianity grows individuals. Christianity grows strong individuals, and they learn to function in the body of Christ so the body can function well. And I, I, I like it to the idea that you have, you know, you, you lift weights or whatever, your body, your arms become one arm, become very strong, but the two of them working together can work collectively, and that's what we are in the body of Christ. All right, so we're rooted in Christ. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. you would know the great conflict that I have for you. Now, the word conflict in the Greek means to fight and struggle, to engage in conflict, to actually be engaged in conflict. And Paul saying, I would that you knew what great conflict that we have. Now, the word reflects an intense inner struggle that Paul was going on for, that he experienced on behalf of this person that he ministered with. What I am going through for you is a great conflict. You know, I am in great conflict for you and for your relationship with God, for your relationship with God. Now, this conflict was for even for those who had not even seen him face to face. So you would wonder, how is it that Paul could be in a conflict for people that are he's never even met yet? We talk about spiritual conflict and the spiritual battle that's going on. Uh, verse 2 is the purpose for the conflict. What was the first line and a half there of verse 2? That their hearts might be comforted. I am in great conflict for you that your hearts can be comforted. And the comfort needs to call one alongside. So that here is like a lady that was in China in solitary confinement. She, she felt great comfort in the presence of God. He came alongside her. She was, she was there alone, but yet she recognized that she wasn't alone. And this is how we are going through life. Our relationship with God is to bring great comfort to us in the sense that we are never alone. That there is always one who is alongside of us. Comfort that comes from the presence of another. So he says that their hearts might be comforted. Those of you who have never seen my face, I am in great conflict for you because that you might be comforted. 
How can they be comforted and he can't even get they've never even met him? Oh, how can, how can Paul, how can there be great comfort to those people whom Paul has never even met? How can there be great comfort to them? And if he's never met them, he probably never will see them. How can they have great comfort? Through his prayer, through the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer is told in that the Holy Spirit of God would be there with him. It's the same as with us. That the Spirit of God is with us. The Spirit of God is there with us. Now, the comfort is based on a relationship that will produce a knitting together in love. That we will knit our hearts. You will be comforted individually, but yet you will find that that individual relationship will bring you and bind you together with love. Bind you together in the heart of other believers, with other believers, and that you will be bound together. And then we have foolish assurance to know something fully, that it will become real to you. If someone, if you get in the shower, and it's not someone turning on the washing machine down the stairs. Does your shower get cold or hot? <laughs> depending <laughs> on depending <laughs> on what the temperature setting is on the washing machine. Well, ours, we have that little problem. And, uh, and they're fully aware of the fact that the, the water is cold. <laughs> You're, You're fully aware, aware that the water is cold when, when someone turns on the washing machine. machine or, and and you're fully aware that suddenly the water turns extremely hot. hot. You're, You're fully aware of it. And that is what we are fully aware of the presence of God. Fully aware of the presence of God. If you went swimming today, you would be fully aware that the water is cold. <laughs> Right? Well, this is where we're, we're fully aware of the presence of God. And this is the lady in China in prison was fully aware of the presence of God as she was at death's door many times. She had a faith in God that sustained her character. She was fully aware of the presence of God. Then, uh, the second part of verse 2. To the Acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father of Christ. Knowing that what you are doing to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, that you know it. We're talking about God today, and we're talking about it as a foolish assurance. Okay? How many are fully assured that God is with you? Hello? I'm going to be fully assured that God is with you. Right. And, 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 and this is what it is. It's a full assurance. It's a full awareness that, that you know it because of experience. That you have experienced it in your life. You know that this is true because of the experience that you have in your life. Verse 3. Okay. In whom? Signifying that it is a person. 
this treasure and these riches and this fullness that Paul is addressing here is found in a person. In whom? That's the key. That's, That's the key, key here to this, these, these verses. In Luke, this, this mystery is revealed in a person. And, and the mystery is that the person, meaning Jesus Christ, it is hidden, meaning that it is removed and it is concealed. It is a treasure of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Jesus Christ. And this treasure is not open and very obvious to those who are not looking for it. If you do not want to find God, you will not find Him. If you do not want the treasures that are in Jesus Christ, they, they will not be there. So, what are our, this is, what are our expectations? What are our expectations with God? What do you expect out of Him? What do you expect Him to do in your life? These are the treasures, these are the things that are hidden, and the only way they become revealed to us is as, 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 as we walk with Him. And so to those who do not want God, there is no treasure. But to those who walk with God and expect there to be a treasure, there is. Now, Paul here, he... Um, once the people, people be comforted, he wants, wants them to find comfort. Even, Even those who have never, never seen his face yet, he wants them to be comforted. That they be knitted together in love with a full understanding that Christ lives in them. And Paul is afraid that they're not going to comprehend the magnitude of what he's saying. He's afraid that they're not going to really understand what he's talking about. And that these things are, uh, you know, they might not catch how important this is to their lives. And they need to come to such a complete understanding that they put their understanding into action. So if we fully comprehend then the magnitude of what Paul is addressing here to the church of Colossians into our own lives, then we're going to put it into action. That in our everyday life, well, whenever I get thrown into prison, I'm going to really pray. <laughs> How many are expecting me to be put in prison this week? You see, see. When, when I, I get put, put in prison, prison, I'm going, going to really, really pray. And when I get, but, but no, no the, the full magnitude of all this is that we're going to walk with God daily, and He's going to, we're going to recognize that He is our comforter, He is the one that's tall alongside of us, that we can then recognize that He is there to comfort and sustain us and help us make the decisions that are seemingly everyday mundane things. Verse 4. I'm telling you this, that Christ is alongside of you. I'm telling you that your hearts can be comforted, that you can knit yourself together in God, that you might comprehend the full magnitude of who Jesus Christ is, because somebody's going to come along and tell you that it isn't true. Life is going to come along and tell you God doesn't really care the way that he said it. 
Someone's going to come to tell you if this is really the love of God, why would he let you go to prison? And you're going to be wondering in your enticing words, and the words against false teachers beguiling you, that they, 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 they use an enticing words, speech-based, merely on persuasion, that they are just simply out to win an argument. And so they, they're trying to toss someone into it, or out of it, and out of their relationship with Christ. And, and verse 5 is the reason for this morning. Watch out for those who would try to take away from you your faith by argument because of verse 5. Though I am not with you, I am united with you in spirit. That we're in this together. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is highly individualistic. But I am united with you in the body of Christ. We're in this together. So continue steadfast in your faith. Don't allow anyone to take what you have away from you. Build on what you got. Our fellowship that is together cannot be destroyed by the persuasion of other men, by these people who would come and try and talk you out of relationship with God and with me, Paul is saying. I've never seen you. Some of you I've never seen. But I want you to know I'm with you in this. And don't allow anyone to talk you out of your relationship with God or talk you out of my love for you. Verse 6. And six, six and seven. seven. And you have received Christ, walk with him. <laughs> it's, it's not, not in philosophy which he addresses you a little later. <laughs> It's not an argument of persuasion, but he says, you have received Christ, then they walk with him. You've received Jesus Christ into your life, so walk with him. Enjoy your walk with him. Enjoy your communion with him and fellowship with him. Enjoy this relationship. And what else does he say? Verses 6 and 7. Walk with verse 7, and what are we to do? What's, What's the, the first, first part of verse 7? Rooted and then built up. I was going to take one of these plants and pull the dirt out and show you the roots. But I won't do that. Roots. Guy, guy tells us about his tree in his yard. He's got this beautiful tree. But every windstorm, it's all over on the side. <laughs> Why? Poor roots. That it looks nice, but when the storms come, it, it topples. It topples all the time. It don't know what to do with it. He hopes that somehow, someday, the roots are going to branch out of the ground, but they don't seem to be branching. 
for reaching out into the ground. Rooted means that our walk with God is something that we are establishing. And it doesn't matter how beautiful people look and the, the, the facade that they put on with, with their religious religiosity and their, their ability to quote this and quote that. What happens in the storms of life? Philosophies and these things that men use for argument's sake. What happens to them? There is a, a professor who the book I, series I did a few years ago on uh, Augmentino's book, uh, Greatest uh, Secrets, he called them the Greatest Secrets in the World. And he got out of it from the Bible. But in his book, he doesn't, he doesn't make reference to God. He makes, uh, he uses these, uh, his ten scrolls as mere uh, philosophies. He took the scripture and took the ideas of the scripture and simply removed God from them and took, took philosophies and made a book out of them called Ten Scrolls and the uh, greatest, greatest Secret in the World and things like that. Well, there, well, there was a professor that, that he ascribed to these Ten Scrolls. I mean, they were, they were his lifeline. And he was really sold on this. He was a very high-powered person who was sold on this, this idea of um, this, is my, this is my greatest day and I'm, God, I'm, I'm, I'm God's greatest miracle. And all these things. Whenever I talk this series, I brought it back into the scriptures. But this man lived without God. And he had a really, thing, really good thing going in his life. Maybe, you know, he's a professor, got his education, he was, he was doing, doing public speaking, he was off speaking in places and, you know, speaking at other universities, and, you know, portraying this, this, this wonderful, confident person. And it seemed that his training was really beautiful until his daughter was killed. And his whole life collapsed because his... His way of living was based solely upon himself and upon mind or matter, and on your ability to control your thoughts and your emotions, and that we make ourselves a God. Well, Paul's saying you've got to be rooted in Jesus Christ, and just and building up is the same same word. If you were going to build a house, it would be the same word. You're building a house that you need to be built into Jesus Christ. And as, now, the house that we build for Christ is this temple, and it takes a lifetime to build it. It isn't something that goes up in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It's something that takes a lifetime to build. And as you would take the care of the time to build a foundation, put it in a good foundation, build the walls, and to build a house that makes it secure, you wouldn't build a fire trap and live in it, put your family in it, you would, you would take unnecessary uh, cut corners, you know, unnecessarily just to get it up and a windstorm come and blow down. So when you are in Christ, be rooted, be grounded. Take that which is of life and sink deep into the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God, let your faith in God grow, grow deep into who he is, and then your life can flourish, and when the storm comes, your life is going to be blown over, toppled. And he says, um, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith. 
that it's going to be something that is secure, is established, and it has been proven with time. That your faith is established, it has built itself up, and that um, rooted and built up and established faith as you have been taught. This is what I taught you. Don't listen to the people who come with enticing words. Listen to what I taught you, because it's going to keep you. Abound with thanksgiving. Don't get upset with life. Be thankful to for God, to God, and be established. Establish your life in Him. Verse 8. Beware, lest any man, what, spoil you. What happens when you go out to eat and you come home about midnight, you're sick. <laughs> I mean, really sick. You think, I hope I don't have, I'm not poisoned. <laughs> They didn't serve me spoiled food. They just serve me to get rid of it. And you think, my goodness, I hope I didn't, you know, I'm not getting poisoned from this. Because of uh, spoiled. And we find that philosophies will spoil means to, in this case, we know that Spoil has to do with something that is rotten, but um, in this case, spoil means to conquer, to carry away captive. The, the, uh, if you look at it, that the rotten food is trying to carry away captive in your, your, your desires. But uh, the idea of spoil is that don't let anybody with their philosophies that is based solely upon human wisdom and reject God. Don't allow people with their philosophies that reject God carry you away captive. Don't let them take your mind and your heart from the things that you all have already established to God. And the, the Colossians were in danger of being spiritually hurt by erroneous doctrines that arise from human speculation and rationalize it. We think that that's only for today, but the, the uh, Colossians were in, in danger of that also. And don't get caught up in vain traditions of men that the, the rudiments of the world, the, the influences of, of sin. Don't allow traditions and sin. The tradition is evil and it is used in the hands of a deceitful man. They will use it and say, you've got to continue in this tradition because that's the way it's always been. And if you break tradition, you know, what good are you? And this is what the Jewish tradition, what the Jewish faith, don't break the tradition of men. Don't break the tradition of our fathers. Stay with them. And Paul is saying, don't let any man spoil you. Don't let any person carry you away captive spiritually, but 
Take hold of what has been placed in your hands and in your heart, and don't allow anybody to take it away from you. Don't allow false teachers, don't allow situations, don't allow anything to take away from you what you have in Jesus Christ, because I want you to be rooted in Him, grow deeply, grounded, established in Him, built up in Christ. All right. Verse 9. See, the problem was, there were these teachers in Colossae. They were individuals that they came to you and said, you don't really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. They were called Gnostics. And they didn't believe that oh, Jesus Christ is just one of the many things. There are angels. They were really worshiping angels. And uh, these are people that come in and they're confronted. Sure. Have you been confronted? Well, then we're afraid to say, well, we really don't believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, or we really don't believe that we're uh, a religion. You know, this is this idea of religion and relationship with God. I'll go back. And say, you really believe that there's a God? Let me tell you, that's been going on for centuries. Paul tells the church at Colossae, don't pay attention to the people who come to you with all these philosophies. I believe that the earth was created, it wasn't created, it began with a dust storm and a collective molecules, and a collection of dust particles, and they all came together, and after many billions and trillions and hundreds of billions and trillions of years, that this thing kind of took shape, and that some scum on some pond, at some point, at some point in time, whether there was a jolt of lightning, or whether there was something, but something happened, and then life came from nothingness, and that nothingness began, and it scum on the pond, and it became some infinite little uh, thing, life organism, that began to evolve, and it evolved, and it evolved, and got fish in the sea, and they got tired of being in the sea, so they came to the land, and then back to the land, and some stayed in the water, and some went on the beaches, and some went in trees, and then after billions and trillions of years, and missing link, we're here. Ta-da-da! 
that's, that's enticing, enticing words. words. Sorry, Sorry, I don't, I don't believe, believe that. that. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not an apologist, I don't believe that. It takes more faith to believe that type of system. And then how did it ignite? How did it become a sun? What, why is it to some, some of the planets that, that got together with all these molecules, molecules and so on suddenly exploded and became stars and suns? And others just float around the universe. I don't know. But don't let any man take away from your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul states that Jesus was fully God. The Gnostics said, well, no, he wasn't. Jesus Christ really wasn't God. He was a man. And uh, he's like the other people. Lots of people that tell us about God. We have a friend down the road who tells us about God. He's just like Jesus. And that's what the Gnostics taught. And they confronted the Christians. They confronted them with what they believed. It hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. Because there's still people who confront you and say, you really believe Jesus Christ died for our sins? You really believe that there's a relationship that you can have with God? And it goes on. People will never change. There will always be people who believe, and there will always be people who will not believe, no matter what you do. When Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, what did they do? They said, we've got to kill him now. You know, when they raised, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the people, you know, they said, what does it take to make you believe? They said, we've got to kill him now. So, so there's, there's always going, going to be those who don't believe that it should never affect our faith. faith. It should make, make our faith stronger. And Paul had to warn people Colossians about the Colossians about this. Verse 10. Not only is Jesus Christ the head of it, but, but you, you will find complete meaning for your life in him, him in, in Christ. Christ. Verse, verse 11. The Jewish, Jewish people said, I'm a follower of God because I'm a seed of Abraham and we have circumcision. That was the promise, the covenant that God established with Abraham, and that's what we do today, so therefore we're of God. Jesus Christ came to fulfill that. And he said, not, it's not only the circumcision of the flesh, but we find that there is a circumcision here, Paul says, that, that, uh, that the whole corrupt carnal nature with the passions and its lusts are cut off, are stripped off of us. So Paul is using something that they know to bring out something that, that they take it further. 
and they were depending upon laws and rituals. And then we have verse 12. What does it say there? So, you depend on circumcision to make your right with God. God says it's got to be of the heart, and it's got to be of the spirit, and only God can do that. To remove your carnation. So, Paul then moves from the idea of, of establishing yourself, watching out for the guys who are going to come and try and take away your faith, to establishing yourself even more firmly and rooted in Christ, that it isn't in the works of the outward acts, but it's in that which Jesus Christ is doing in your heart. And he says, and when you have your baptism, verse 12, that um, thus you were circumcised and you were buried with him in your baptism. You were cut off. The, 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 the carnal nature was eradicated. It was done away with. In your baptism. Now, this baptism is water roots to sin. Baptism does not take away, does not wash away sin. Baptizing to the church does not mean that because I've been baptized, my sins are forgiven. No. Baptism states here that in him, your baptism, in which you are also raised with him. The idea is that I am crucified with Christ. I am buried. I have already made a declaration of faith in God. I've already made a declaration of faith in God. And I go into the waters of baptism, which symbolizes my death with him and my resurrection with him. The water symbolizes death. And the resurrection, that we were raised to new life in Christ and with Christ. And so it is important that we, you know, as we see baptism, it isn't, it isn't the water that washes away our sins. It is by baptism we're making a statement to Christ and to everyone else about our relationship with Him. All right, any questions? Anything? Yes. Well, children's baptism, um, it is when Jesus was, uh, Jewish tradition has it, that uh, in the Jewish tradition they were always brought to the temple and dedicated. Alright? And that's whenever we had, and that's where uh, child dedication, and that's where also child baptism came into play. But in, in Jewish tradition, it was set up that, that a child would be brought to the temple and dedicated to God, and then whenever they were the age of 12, they were brought into the temple, and as adults, they were, they were recognized they were in um, the 12 or 16. I think it's 12. Um, they were brought to the temple, and there they were um, um, brought in and brought into the, into the law. That they would be responsible for the law. Um, we find that what we have is child dedication, 
And then we have adult baptism. What we mean by adult baptism is when a person reaches the age that they know right from wrong and they, and they ask Christ to forgive you of their sins. Now that can be a five-year-old or it can be a ten-year-old or an adult. Whenever we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, we are baptized. You know, we go into the waters of immersion, that we are dead to the things of the world. And here is it's the idea of circumcision, the spiritual circumcision, being cut off from the carnal nature, cut off from the old nature, the being done away with, that which was destroying us. We have made a public profession that Jesus Christ is in our heart, and this is a, this is a public profession of that walk with God. Okay? Is that your, what was your question? The cover the God already has forgiven them. If a child dies, if a child dies, the grace of God is, is such that they will go to heaven. It's when they reach the age of accountability that they can decide right from wrong and they choose wrong. They are following evil rather than good. And they will be, you know, be punished for their sin. So God is the one who will, who will separate that. Yeah. He's the, one who's, he's, the, he's the one who will separate those. You know, the children, you know, what is the age of accountability? And which is the age that a, a child is responsible for their own life? So it certainly doesn't, you know, if, if the child of an American family takes their child to be baptized at the age, you know, of three days, uh, and the fourth day they die, and they're baptized, and they think, well, because they were baptized, they're in heaven, then the heathen over somewhere has a child four days old, and it dies, well, God's going to say, well, the four-year-old over here in the heathen country, uh, I'm going to send it to hell, and these ones over here, four years old, I mean, four days old, I'm going to send them to heaven because they were baptized. No. Right. He, his sins were forgiven and he went to heaven. This day you'll be with me in paradise. See, baptism is not, baptism is not a requirement for heaven. Requirement for heaven is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a requirement. That's the, that's the only entrance exam you have to take. <laughs> when you get to, you know, you go to college, you have to take entrance exams. But uh, whenever you go to heaven, there's only one entrance exam. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And, uh, and you know, and if the answer is yes, and he knows it, he'll know whether you have or not. <laughs> you know, he, he'll know whether you've given your life to him. And uh, uh, when you, you know, then you have entrance and acceptance into the kingdom of God. So our entrance into the kingdom of God is not based upon baptism or upon belonging to a church or having a particular religion. See, God's not interested in your religion. He's interested in your relationship with Him. If your religion does not enhance your relationship with Him, you better change your religion. You know, if your religion does not build your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you don't have a very good religion. You've got to have a relationship. And that's what God's looking for, a relationship between He and His people. Okay? Anything else? All right. Um, 
Where are we at? Verse 13. We want to get to verse 23. See, spiritual death is as real as physical death. And Jesus Christ has forgiven you all of your trespasses. You were dead in sin. Nothing you could do could erase that sin except ask Christ to forgive you. That's it. Christ is the one who forgives you. And he's the one who, who establishes you in your faith. And so we build in our relationship upon him. That, and you were dead in your trespasses. And in your uncircumcision of your flesh. Which is the idea of your carnal nature. Your carnal nature. You were dead and living in your carnal nature. But I have forgiven you and will establish you in your faith. And in your relationship with me. Verse 14. That which was keeping you from God, that which was keeping your relationship and keeping you out of heaven, I canceled it. I put it on the cross, the note. Remember we talked last week when Jesus said it is finished? Same principle. That, that the, the note, the, the, the loan, the the ownership against you 